Hello, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. As uh, we're going through the New Testament, we're starting in the book of Acts, and we're going to go through the entire New Testament. Might take a little while, but uh, we're in no hurry. Hallelujah. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do it in sequential order, at least as much as uh, biblical theologians think it was written in the order that it was written in. So we're going to go in Acts, and when we get to the part of Acts where they think that Paul wrote this letter or Peter wrote this letter or whatever, we're going to jump to that letter and read it and then go back and pick up the account. Acts, the book of Acts, actually is called the Acts of the Apostles is the official name of Christianity is given to it. And uh, it's uh, <clears throat> actually not named that. It doesn't really have a name. <laughs> it's just the second book that Luke wrote. The first one he wrote was the Gospel of Luke. And then he picks it up and he starts writing this work. doesn't have an official name. But we call it the book of Acts, just Acts for the uh, shortcut of it. So we read now, um, oh, by the way, welcome to all those who are watching online. At, uh, we have people at uh, home groups and stuff like that watching online, as well as our campuses over in Stevens Point, Appleton. Good evening to you and others around the world watching online. So uh, chapters one and two, book of Acts, Jesus is taken up into heaven. And uh, he says, don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes and you're going to be my witnesses. And uh, so they're watching him go up into heaven. Angels appear to him and say, what are you looking up in heaven for? And uh, he's going to come back. So they thought, they thought great. So uh, now when they thought he was coming back, they literally thought, you know, it's been a week, where's he at? You know, I mean, they thought he was coming right back. Now we see the Holy Spirit comes and suddenly turns these people who were kind of timid people, now letting the Spirit of God enter them and having great boldness. Uh, that's one of the things that if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to work in you, it'll give you greater boldness. Uh, I appreciate that Nazareth was here on Sunday. He was encouraging people to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the scriptures, and he said, go stab people. <laughs> Hopefully people didn't take that literally. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, wasn't stabbing people with a knife or anything. So uh, taking this word of God, and they started going, and they started preaching, and things are happening, and in one day, in his first sermon, Peter converts 3,000 men, and, uh, you know, so the thing's off to a great start, and we end chapter two, where he b describes the church, man, they're hanging out together, uh, people were selling their assets, and bringing it in, liquidating things, and taking care of everybody, it was really, literally, a big, gigantic Christian commune, okay, I'm from the 60s and 70s. There was a time where communists were cool, <laughs> except everybody hated each other and it wouldn't work. But uh, here they actually started out in a very similar fashion. They were literally a commune. And uh, so they're all liquidating stuff, bringing the money in, and uh, you know, they're all hanging out. And, and why not? They think Jesus is coming right back, okay? Now, I don't want to uh, downgrade that too much. What it did say is that it, they took care of each other. They had all things in common. The context, again, is Christianity just starting. They think Jesus is coming right back. I mean, if you really thought Jesus was coming back at the end of October, you know, or next spring, well, why would you keep your stuff? You know, sell the stuff. Let's all hang out. Let's just go preach the gospel, share and encourage people to come to know Jesus. We'll all share everything and, you know, and they'll get out of here. Uh, and every so often, someone comes up with some lame brain idea that they figured out when Jesus is coming back, despite the fact the Bible says no one will know. Suddenly they know. 
And you'll hear of people who run around and they're doing stuff like this and they're silenced off or going crazy or <laughs> some <laughs> will run up huge chunks on their credit cards because <laughs> they literally think, I'm not going to have to pay it back, you know, because Jesus is coming, you know, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon on, you know, October 5th. And of course it passes and then I'm sure they all <laughs> probably file bankruptcy. <laughs> you know, you never hear these guys. As soon as it goes over, they get real quiet. But uh, anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about that. So anyway, uh, but even though they were, you know, really had this mindset of things are really temporary. Let's, who really cares about life? Let's just love each other and preach the gospel. And when Jesus comes back, it's going to be totally awesome. Uh, so they were living in this way. Now, obviously, 2,000 years later, <laughs> We're aware of the fact that their timetable was a little off, okay? It wasn't immediate. It's much more immediate now than it was then, but uh, we don't know when all this is going to happen. You still got to live life. Uh, But the church did have this attitude of taking care of each other, and I think we should still have that today. And I think that's one of the great signs of Christianity is if you're really part of the church and you're hurting and you're connecting, the problem is some people don't connect with anybody, so they can never really be there for each other. One of the great things of getting to know people in your church, your campus, whatever, is so they can be there for each other. And there's people, I hear it frequently, where somebody, man, I need a car. You know, somebody in the church says, I got a car for you. Or, you know, my refrigerator busted. Really? I got two. Here's one. Or, you know, go out and buy a refrigerator for them. Or something. And they're, they're there for each other. So I think that attitude of sharing uh, should still be in the church. So anyway, until we get to chapter three, they, they are on a serious high. They are just jazzed. This is great. Thousands of people are becoming Christians, and uh, they don't really know what's going to happen next. So we pick up the story in chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the table. That's really significant. I want you to get the picture here. This is only about two months after Jesus was crucified. Okay, he just went into heaven. They say that this beggar had been begging at the gate all his life. So who do you think he undoubtedly saw? Jesus. Why didn't Jesus heal him then? Don't know. You know, God works in different ways and different times and stuff. Don't get discouraged when <clears throat> things don't happen when you think they ought to happen. But anyway, here's this guy. He's seen all this stuff. He's been there. Everybody knew who he was, which is really significant in this story. Now, so he's begging. That's what he does. He's been there all this time. So he sees Peter and John about to go in the temple, and he asked to receive alms. That's what, that's what he's a beggar. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Now, I don't know, did the Spirit of God tell Peter to do this? I don't know. Was he just that full of the Holy Spirit and coming out of his ears? Probably, you know. I mean, he's got this boldness. He's looking around. Obviously, those guys must have seen this guy before. What happened at that moment? I don't know. All of a sudden, Peter John looks at him and goes, hey, look at me. The guy's going, oh, good money, money, money. And Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, that's a little bold, right? What if you pull and the guy falls over? (laughs) That would be embarrassing, right? 
In fact, I'm sure one of the reasons we're not more bold in our faith is we don't want to be embarrassed. That's natural, right? I'll pray for you, but I, I'm just trusting God, you know? But anyway, he says, get up. So he grabs the guy by the right hand and pulls him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the table, the table, the temple, walking with them, with them walking and leaping and praising God. So he's jumping up and down. What would you do? Right? Now I want you to see the incredible part of this miracle. This man has never walked in his life. Okay? Now, if you're a person who's never walked in your life and we pray for you and suddenly your legs and stuff get strong, wow, is that a miracle? But now what would you have to do? You have to learn how to walk, right? Nobody just starts walking. Well, this guy does. I mean, just that part of it is like, holy cow, how does this happen? He's got total balance and he knows how to walk. Some of us spent a considerable time falling on our butts learning how to walk. People who have been through surges then got their strength back and still having to go through, you know, all the work and physical therapy of learning how to walk again. Even that's a miracle, right? But this guy from zero gets pulled up and he's going, woo! And he's jumping up and down. Now this is seriously impressive. So he's jumping all over the place. It says, and all the people saw him walking and praising God, which is... Cool, but they all recognized him as the one who sat by the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. They'd all seen it. They all knew this guy. Everybody knew this guy. And all of a sudden, he's up, and he's jumping around, and he's walking. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him, I bet. (laughs) I would have been like, wow, this is incredible. So while he clung to Peter and John, not because he couldn't stand up, but he's he's hanging, I love you, man. (laughs) I mean, he's really excited. This is awesome. And he's hanging on to him. And all the people were utterly astounded. They ran uh, uh, together, ran, uh, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's Temple. So everybody comes running. Uh, da, 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 da. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Wow, here's a great chance to preach. So here's this big miracle. Everybody comes running. He's a preacher. Preacher sees an audience. He preaches. That's what we do. So he starts preaching, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? I just love these questions these people ask. You know, it's like the angels. They're staring at Jesus going into the heaven. I say, why are you guys looking up? I say, well, we don't see this every day. <laughs> but here, same deal. This guy is walking. He says, well, why, why, why do you wonder at this? What do you mean, why do you wonder at this? This is like mind-blowing. This isn't, man, I had a cold, and the pastor prayed for me, and my cold got better. This is like, yo mama, wow, incredible miracle. Why do you wonder at this? Oh, why do you stare at us? It's through our own power or piety. We made him walk. And then he starts to preach. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, who you, dirty rats, implied, delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Remember, there's a whole bunch of people, yeah, crucify him, crucify him. These were the guys. And he points it out to him. In fact, we see this quite a bit in uh, Peter's early sermons. He really stuck it in their faces. God raised up Jesus from the dead. The guy you crucified, but look what God did. And uh, it brought a lot of guilt and condemnation and 
hopefully repentance when they started realizing what was happening. People either accepted the message and, and asked for forgiveness and turned to God, or they got mad, and then they tried to persecute these guys. All right, so anyway, he's preaching, uh, God, that you delivered over and denied the presence of Pilate, remember that whole story, when he decided to release him. He was going to let him go. You guys, you crucify him, crucify him. Lord. But you denied the holy righteous one and asked for a murderer. Remember his name? Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. So he's literally in the face of the people who were part of this. And, uh, and you killed the author of life, whom now God has raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. So he gives him a little bit of slack as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Really, the point of actually pointing out anybody's shortcomings and failures and sins isn't to condemn them and to make them, you know, walk out of church feeling lousy. The point of pointing out where people are falling short is to say, hey, turn away from that and return to God experience forgiveness. That's the message of Christianity. That not we just go out there and yell at people, but that we can tell people and proclaim the truth and then let them know there's forgiveness in the name of Jesus. So that's what he does. He tells them to repent, come back. If their sins can be blotted out, verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke about through the Holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And what he's doing is he's going into the Old Testament and reminding them that the, the Messiah was supposed to come. Uh, Moses talked about, look, God's going to raise up a prophet among you. Listen to him. This is going to be an incredible thing. He's all talking about the Messiah. 23, he says, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. That's his sermon. Now, as they were speaking to the people, Here's the drama part. Dun, 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 As he's speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So they arrest them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So now about a couple of thousand guys. Are at it. The group is growing. And remember, they're just mentioning men uh, because <laughs> the tradition of the day is women didn't matter greatly. I know it was horrible. You'll start noticing in the New Testament though they'll start referring to men and women, men and women, and the whole message of the uh, New Testament teaching is to raise women up, especially from where they were at this point. So anyway, on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the priestly family, 
when they had sent them in the midst, set them in the midst, they required, so they bring the guys in. By what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. Remember, this is the guy, not all that many weeks ago, who was hiding and denying he even knew Jesus. Dramatic transformation when the power of the Holy Spirit infills you. Uh, fills you. So he says, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Again, he was very quick to stick it in their faces. Now we're literally talking the guys who orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus. This wasn't Years ago, this has been a matter of weeks since all this has happened. Sometimes we forget the connection here. This is a very short amount of time. And he's reminding him, you know, remember Jesus, the guy you just crucified? All right. It's in his name, whom, uh, talking about Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. That's a very familiar... He's quoting to them scriptures from the Old Testament, which they're all very familiar with. This prophecy that uh, the, the stone, the, the literally it says, the stone that the builders rejected comes the, becomes the cornerstone. In other words, you guys did this. You rejected this stone, but now this is the cornerstone. You rejected the Messiah. It was prophesied that you would, but now God has raised him from the dead. You need to make this right. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given um, under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. And you have to understand, I mean, that's very, very true. People say, well, doesn't everybody who just believes in God all, all go to heaven? No. It's really literally not. In fact, all religions really believe that their way is really the only way. <laughs> it's not, unless you're a, one of these what a, Baha'i faiths or something where they think everybody's whatever. Uh, you know, so it's a serious thing to take this gospel. And when you start to understand what he's saying, and they all believe this, and that's why they went everywhere, because they truly believe that Jesus was the way. We believe that, okay? That's what motivates us. If you think it doesn't really matter, it's nice if you believe in Jesus, but it really doesn't matter, well, why would you do anything about it? Why would you preach the gospel? Why would you build a church? Why would you give money? Why would you do all these things? If everybody gets in anyway, it's no big deal. No, no, that's not the way it works. There is a big call on our lives to share with those who don't know this Jesus. Right? All right. So now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were ignorant, <laughs> ignorant, they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. These guys didn't go to any advanced school. They didn't go to college. What university did you boys go to? They knew they didn't. Now, these were highly educated men of their day. They had gone through all the teachings and all, you know, blah, 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 blah. Peter and John, if you remember for a living, they used to just be fishermen. Uh, they had basic education, obviously. Uh, and I'm sure, <laughs> well, I'm not getting enough talking about education today. <laughs> I'm pretty sure these guys, 2,000 years, their basic education exceeds anything we have today, even in high school, because these guys were brilliant in their writings and stuff. They didn't just fall off a turnip truck. They were pretty educated at 2,000 years ago. You know, today, it's hard to get people to read. Anyway, don't get me started. I just did. Okay, so 
But they know they didn't have the fancy high-level education. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. These cats, they're bold, they're uneducated. Listen to what they talk. These are the guys that were with Jesus, all right? But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. What are you going to say? The guy is there. It is, it's not a matter of, you know, well, you know, he probably would have gotten better anyway. All right, this is like way off the charts. If he would have gotten better anyway, he would have slowly learned how to walk. You could have explained it that way. I mean, every once in a while, God shows up in a way that you just can't explain, and everybody just sits back and are fried, and they were all fried at this. So uh, when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what are we going to do with these guys? For that, a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it. They wanted to deny it. See, it didn't make them believe, which sometimes you think, gee, why doesn't God just show up and do all these cool miracles? Because he does it when he knows it's going to be effective, is all I can say. There's lots of people who saw what Jesus did and didn't believe. There were people who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, a guy who'd been dead for three days. And when they saw it happen right in front of their eyes, they got mad and said, we need to kill Jesus. I mean, wow. So here these guys see this miracle like everybody else, and we can't deny it. They wanted to die. They weren't believing. It didn't, had, had no impact on them whatsoever. So anyway, in order that it may spread no further among the people, let's warn them to speak no more in, anymore in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen, rather in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. It's kind of a rhetorical question. <laughs> he said, what do you think, we should listen to you or listen to God? All of it's rather, rather insulting to these guys. He said, they, and they said, for we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all the people were praising God for what had happened. For no man on whom this sign of healing was, uh, for the man on whom this sign, I'm talking about education. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And they all knew this guy. It was a big, big stinking deal. Now, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Hey, man, they threatened us. Don't you talk about Jesus anymore. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and now they quote from the Old Testament, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Uh, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So all, what they're praying is, oh, Lord, protect us from the... They didn't pray that. What they said is, God, they're threatening us. Your word shows that the vain people of the world would try and rise up against Jesus. They're threatening us. Now give us greater boldness. Give us greater boldness. Help us not to be afraid. 
and, uh, and do all kinds of crazy miracles. So um, it says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Well, that's a pretty cool prayer meeting. <laughs> he get done the whole place. Wow! I mean, pretty cool stuff. So anyway, now the number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, which is important, I think, to this day. We're supposed to be people who have one heart and one soul. We're supposed to be the church. Again, the problem we have is the culture in which we live, and you could be in an extremely crowded city and be incredibly lonely and not really know anybody. Or you can come to a big church or whatever size campus or stuff that you're at, hundreds of people uh, here in the thousands, and, uh, and still be pretty lonely because you don't know anybody. But you get to know people on purpose. It's intentional. You've got to take the time to connect with people. Lots of different ways you can do it in this church, in our life groups and volunteering and things that you could do. All of it's important so you can get together with people to get to know people so that you can have people who will be there for you, pray for you. Again, if you have needs to be able to step up and help you with your needs in life, uh, that shouldn't be your motivation. <laughs> get some friends just in case I get in financial trouble, you know, but, but stuff happens to everybody, right? Uh, so you can't get the reason. In this culture, it was so much easier because they didn't have such busy lives, and there wasn't television, and there weren't cars. When these guys got together for church, it was an all-day deal. Even actually up until, well, even the 60s and 70s, we used to have church. It was pretty much an all-day deal. Uh, today, we have one-hour services. Man, when we were, what kind of services used to go to? Randy, did they... At least two hours, yeah. Sometimes we'd sing for two hours. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's amazing. Not when you're the piano player. I mean, that's, a long, that's a long stinking time. And they'd sing. They'd just, they'd just hang out, hang out. And then they'd go take a nap and they'd come back and have their evening services. It was very common in evangelicals. You'd have Sunday morning service and Sunday night service. Sunday night was just picking up where we left off and kept going. Uh, back in this day... When they got together, they literally hung all day long, sometimes all night long. You know, you walk a long time to get somewhere. You're not in a big hurry to go walking home. So they really took advantage of it. Uh, sometimes they'd have all-night church. We'll read as we get later in the book of Acts where Paul, he, you, <laughs> you think I talk a long time. He preached all night long. I'm like, what do you got to say so all day? And all night, one guy falls asleep, falls off the rafters, and falls to his death. Paul went over, laid his hands on him, raised him back from the dead, and kept preaching. <laughs> now, you would think, you know, people are dying. I really ought to wrap this up. <laughs> no, they didn't stop. So you can see in that culture, the time they spent together with each other and really got to know each other and really there to be there for one another, it's great. It came much easier to them, I would argue, than it does to us today. Is it impossible? It is not impossible, but we have to be much more intentional in spite of the culture that we have to spend time with people and look for opportunities to spend time with, with uh, Christians. And quite frankly, I'm of the opinion that if your greatest social world is not part of the church, the campus, wherever you're at, uh, 
It's a big mistake. These, this should be your greatest social world. If your greatest social world is your volleyball team, no slam, but long-term, that's not really going to work for you spiritually. If your greatest uh, social environment is the bar, and some people it is, some people, Wisconsin, a lot of people. It's exactly, I mean, to them, the bar is their church. That's where they go for fellowship. Where everybody knows your name, you know. That's their thing. They know everybody, and that's if you, as a Christian, your bar is still your your greatest. You're missing this. If your hobby group or whatever is your knitting groups, I don't know what what people do anymore today. You know, if that if that's your greatest world, quite frankly, some of y'all's greatest world. You know where your greatest world is? With people you don't even see. <laughs> We're all guilty, but I get it. <laughs> You'll see me and my wife at, sitting at lunch by ourselves, and she's on her phone, and I'm on her phone, and we're talking to each other. Sometimes we'll text each other, what are you doing over there? You know? Uh, and, and, and it's not that that's evil in it, but if that's your soul universe, so again, we just so much try to encourage people to break out of this culture that you live in this alternate world or whatever social world that you have. I'm not saying you can't be part of any other groups and stuff. I, th- I think that's fine. In fact, I think Christians should be in part of all kinds of groups where there are non-Christians. It helps us to, as Nazareth would say, stab people <laughs> with, with the truth of God's word and to love people. You know, One of the problems of sometimes with Christian people is they get so absorbed in the Christian world they have no Christian friends, and they can't talk to anybody because they don't even know anybody. So it's kind of a delicate balance. All I'm saying is your strongest social environment should be at, your, at part of, if you're going to be part of Celebration Church, it should be here. Whatever church, I know there's people listening to us all over the world, wherever you're watching and stuff like that, your church should be the center of your social world, despite having these other things. Again, it's not bad to have these. I think it's good to have those. But if that's your greatest outside the walls, oh, this stupid thing quit dinging at me. Can you guys hear that? It's my new Apple Watch. <laughs> Talking about things that distract. I will put it in the silent mode. There we go. All right. So anyway, the full number of those who believe we're one heart and one soul, easier for them, harder for us, but we still need to do it. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Mine. It's mine. It's mine. Mine. My car. My house. My stuff. You know, they didn't think in those ways. They literally thought... Uh, about sharing everything. Of course, they were, had this big commune thing going easier in that context than today. But even as Christians, we always should have you know, open hands of what God's blessed you with, you know, and look for ways to bless people. You should. Someone says, you know, you see someone who needs something that you've got and you're able to give it to them, why not give it to them? Be nice to people. Bless people. The more you bless people, the more God will bless you. So that was their thinking. They had one heart, one soul. Nobody said they, well, everything they had was their own had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. Why? Because they were there for each other. Again, very much a commune situation that they thought all this stuff was going to be very temporary. But I still think some of this mentality still needs to be happening today in churches. But there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and each distributed, uh, was distributed to each as they had need. Again, they're really showing a picture of this commune, which we don't do today. They didn't keep doing it for terribly long because it became uh, 
really rather difficult. You have to understand what they're doing at this point wasn't really what they were instructed to do. Jesus said, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and then you go throughout the whole world and be witnesses to my story. What they're doing is they're just hanging there, <laughs> getting comfortable. Everybody's hanging out. More people are coming in. We're all feeding each other, taking each other. So like this is great Jesusville that they're, they're building and they're not really doing everything they're supposed to be doing. So clearly there's a time not very far even from here where all of this starts changing. But they were thinking this, and again, they thought Jesus was coming right back. Uh, then verse 36, they talk about a guy named Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. Uh, which means son of encouragement. You want to remember him. Uh, he's going to become a key player a little bit further into this account. So we got Barnabas, again, originally named Joseph, uh, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him. He brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's what everybody's doing. They're all coming in. They're in. They're sacrificing everything, and they're being there for each other. And, you know, wow. Again, it would take a lot more intentionality for us to do it, but I still think the call for the church is Jesus said, my disciples need to love each other. They're really living out love here. You see someone who has, you try and meet that need. Now, that doesn't mean, and they really had to get stricter with the rules here, because what started happening was slackers came along. People who didn't want to work. You, I promise you, if we had a situation where everybody who walked through the door, anybody needs anything, man, we just give it to them. This church would fill up pretty quickly with slackers, lots of slackers. And these people, there, there's a whole subculture in everywhere, even in America, of people who live to get stuff for free. And it is what it is. So they were really into this. At some point, even they had to get strict with this. And they started coming with strong rules. Paul, at one point, said, Here's a rule. If they don't work, they don't, they don't eat. That's a pretty strong rule. Had a tendency to be a slacker filter. All right? So they, again, they were very loose in the beginning with this. Still, I think that the heart of what they were doing was good, and we should strive for stuff like that. But uh, they're living in kind of the super idealistic world at this point, which they had to really straighten out. And we'll find out in a little bit here. That they, they even start fighting over who gets what, so it is what it is. But they're on the super high at this point. So now they tell us a story specifically about two people, uh, a guy named uh, Ananias and his wife Sapphira. Uh, nice biblical names. Almost nobody ever names their kids Ananias or Sapphira today. Uh, if anybody looks in the Bible and names their kids Sapphira, it's because they don't know the story. <laughs> because they both drop dead. <laughs> because they're, they're lying and, and insulting the Holy Spirit. So anyway, so a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he got together, they talked it through, they kept back some of the money and proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, we're going to find out in a minute here, uh, it would have been okay to do that. He says to them, in a minute, you're going to see, you, the money was yours, you could do whatever you wanted. What happens is they're lying. What they're saying is, hey, we sold this property that my dad left us for, uh, for $15,000, and we're, we're giving it all to the church. 
when in reality they sold it for $30,000, they're pocketing 15, which was okay if that's what they wanted to do, but they're lying. They're making everybody else give the impression that there's something that they're not. They see other people sacrificing greatly. So what they wanted to do was to appear that they too were sacrificing greatly, although they had no intention of doing it. So they're, they're playing this game. So they came back part of it. They bring the thing at the apostles' feet. But Peter says to Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain uh, your own? In other words, yours, you could do whatever you wanted with it. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You could do whatever you wanted with that money. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. But when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. The guy just drops dead. And great fear came upon all who heard it. I would think so. Lesson, don't lie to the apostles. <laughs> it's not good for your health plan. <laughs> All right? Well, these guys are like, wow! They're coming to, they're just for being hypocrites. Now, people say, why doesn't this happen today? I don't know. I think half the church would fall over dead. I don't know. I'm kind of glad this stuff doesn't happen like this today. But the lesson is certainly there. Anyway, so the guy just kicks it, man. He drops it. And the young men, always oh, cut on the young men, strong boys. They rose up, wrapped him up. Come on, boys, roll him up. Get him out of here. They carried him out and buried him. Well, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. I don't know where she's at. She's at the mall, whatever. She doesn't know what's going on. Not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to me, hey, Sapphira, come here. Tell me, uh, did you sell your land for so much? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we sold for $15,000 or whatever the amount was. You know? And Peter said, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she drops dead. <laughs> Holy stinking cow. You know, and then the young man, come on, boys, just wrap her up. Come on, take her out. Take her next to Robbie. And great fear came on the whole church. I'll bet. Man, if people were lying, cheating, and playing hypocritical, phony games, start falling dead in church, I think people would get stuff a lot more serious about stuff. So I, I don't know why except from this context. You know, to whom much is given, much is required, okay? These guys are experiencing incredible miracles, and God is there in a great way, and the standard goes up, man. I mean, you know, uh, now that's, we should take lessons from that today, I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> if you have issues tonight, you're not likely to drop over dead, even if you're not being honest. But uh, you should put a little bit of the fear of God in you when you see that God doesn't look very kindly on people who are phony, who are pretending to be something that they're not and, and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, that's what happened. I don't know why, but that's what happened. So now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Now there's a lot of this about the apostles. Remember, they call it the Acts of the Apostles is the name of the book. Uh, and really heavily to establish the apostles uh, there's people who actually argue that, well, the miracles and stuff like this were only for the time of the apostles. And uh, we don't believe that. We'll get into that later as we, as we go along uh, through this study. 
But having said that, I think there was something really unique about the ministry of the apostles. What God is really trying to do is establish that you need to listen to these guys because much of the teaching of the church came from the apostles. Okay, the gospel is the good news, hearing about Jesus, but he didn't give us, you know, he gave us some basic guidelines, certainly just based on basic morality and stuff like that, but about how to handle this, that, and the other was the teaching of the apostles. So God was really showing up, really using these guys in an incredible way, I think, to give them great credibility to the ministers they're going to have. Same with Paul. Paul, the apostle, he's kind of like the add-on apostle. We'll get into all this. Uh, you know, uh, some actually think he should have been the 12th apostle. Remember, they replaced the, the 12th guy. We don't know that for sure. Who knows? All we know that he's also an apostle, and he does incredible stuff. But then he winds up being the greatest contributor to Christianity and about how we should approach our faith and, and what to do. So I think God showed up really significant. I still believe God answers prayers and does miracles today. But there's some stuff that's really to the walls with these guys, and I think it's a way of God really establishing who these guys are, how legit they are, how much favor of God is on them, and that we should listen to these guys, all right? So anyway, miracles constantly by the hands of the apostle. They're all together in Solomon's portico. They all kind of hang out there, uh, part of the temple, and none of the rest dare join them, but the people held them in high esteem, at least (laughs) at this point they did. Eventually, Christians get to the point where everybody hated them, and they're chasing them all over the Roman Empire, trying to kill them. Uh, but at this point, everybody liked them. They're nice people, but don't stand too close to them because they're, you know, they're kind of creepy. Uh, they really looked at them as kind of, a, they were actually referred to as a Jewish sect, kind of like a Jewish denomination, you know, like a Baptist, you know, Catholics, Lutherans, and stuff like that. They really looked at Christians, these early Christians. They were still Jewish. Everything about them was Jewish, and they still... Uh, participated in all the Jewish rituals and stuff, but they held to Jesus being the Messiah, and they kind of gave him their own place. You had the Pharisees and Sadducees uh, were the two major denominations, if you'll call it that time, uh, among the Jews, and now there's these Christians. Okay, so they're hanging out at the temple and stuff, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and, now we're starting to hear about the women who don't get mentioned, weren't getting mentioned a whole lot until now, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Now, again, I think this is to really emphasize that God was with these guys as apostles, you know, these 12, and then also uh, uh, Paul in, a, in dramatic ways to give credibility to their ministry and why we should be listening to. And we still study to what they said to this very day. We're going to be doing this over the next couple of years as we go through this stuff. To li- What did they say? What should we do? How are we as Christians supposed to live? These weren't just guys who fell off a truck somewhere, all right? These were powerful men. There was so much of God on Peter. He was praying for people. They're all getting healed like Jesus. And there was so much. People would just gather around and lay sick people in the streets. Hopefully that Peter's shadow would fall on them. Because when his shadow would fall on them, they'd get healed. Holy cow. That's powerful. All right? Some really impressive stuff that is happening here. Uh, The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. They were all healed. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him that is the party of the Sadducees, which is one of the, you know, you got the Pharisees, Sadducees. So the Sadducees get together, 
even though they're all part of all this big deal. They're filled with jealousy. Why? Because everybody's listening to them. They used to listen to us. I don't like it. We walk around in our robes in a very holy man. Everybody listen, I'm going to tell you what I think about blah, 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 blah. And now everybody's jazzed about these guys. It wasn't even about the Messiah at this point. Uh, you're going to really see some interesting things. A lot of stuff that we think they thought, they didn't really think at all. A lot of what was driving them were other things other than the fact in fact, very rarely when they preached about Jesus being the Messiah did they get mad. It wasn't until they started seeing other stuff that was happening. We'll point it out as we get into it. So, but at this point, what really starts irritating, they're just jealous. They're jealous because everybody's listening to these guys. So what we're about to read is really hilarious. And I guess you have to come back next week and hear the story because we're out of time. But this is a scream. This, you know, God has a great sense of humor because he absolutely fries these guys' heads. Wait till you read it. It's so cool. But I'm out of time. So we're done. There you go. All right? God bless all you guys. See you again next Wednesday as we continue to study all this. Bye-bye.